Hello and welcome to Bringing Design Closer, the podcast focused on discussing design's role in tackling complex societal issues. And our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Look, it's the start of 2022, I can't believe it. And I want to ask a favour before we jump into this episode. Now, if you haven't already done it, sign up to our newsletter and this is 8cd.com where you get fortnightly content about all that is going on in the world of This Is 8CD, such as the Doing Design Festival, which is happening very, very soon. And also, if you love what we do, please leave a rating for the podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google or any other platform that you use to listen to the podcast on. This helps us out enormously. It may seem something so simple, but it really helps us out enormously and helps others find the podcast too. So that really helps us and goes a long way. So my name is Jerry Scullion, as you probably know at this stage. I'm a service designer. I'm the founder of This Is 8 City and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com, where we provide live online design and innovation classes, transformational design and innovation training for teams and organizations, for people within the design and the change-making space. Now, in this episode, I speak with one of my colleagues at ThisIsDoing.com, one of the co-authors of This Is Service Design Doing book, Marcus Edgar Hormez. And Marcus's name is one that will probably be synonymous with the word service design and be very familiar to people within the service design community. But nevertheless, let me tell you a little bit about Marcus today. He's my guest. Marcus is based in Germany. He's a trained physicist and he's a partner at Workplay Experience. And I look to Marcus for many things, not only just technical advice and actually how to set up a podcast. He's brilliant at that. But I also align with his deep rooted passion with prototyping of services and just prototyping in general. The bits that can so easily be trivialized or just assumed are those moments that are missed within teams and organizations. And we chat at length about how to encourage prototyping generally within your organization. So it's a really good episode. And we speak more around play and what this means. And we're like, maybe what's the opposite of playfulness look like within organizations? And again, how can we move the dial to become more likely to lean into the prototyping mindset? Anyway, it's a great one. I know you're going to enjoy Marcus's mic conversation. So let's jump straight into it. Marcus Edgar Hormez, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Hey, hey, Terry. Mar- Marcus, we've known each other for a number of years and we've got the pleasure of working together, obviously, with what this is doing. Um, but for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Marcus Edgar Hormez, how do you describe yourself and tell us what you do? Oh, that's, In about uh, 50 words or less. 50 <laughs> words or less. That's one thing I can't do. You know, I'm, I'm famous for talking too much, possibly. No. You know, 50 words or less. Let's try this. Um, I'm a physicist by training, turned turn to the dark side, consultant, swapped into service design early on um, at the intersection of business design and technology. I really like to integrate that stuff. And prototyping is the thing that I like to talk about most. Building things, using technology to build things, using people, well, not using people, but working with people uh, (laughs) to make things happen or almost anything. Yeah. Using Um, people as props. No, not so much. This is the interesting thing. Uh, I just noticed Mm. this the other day. Sometimes we we say, you know, what's the medium of uh, a service designer? Yeah. And uh, it's the organization. Uh, so mm-hmm. the organization are people, are, are people the medium? Because, you know, we, we should work with them and not change them. Anyway, yeah. but this is what we do, you know, most of the time. Yeah. The semantics. 
So Absolutely. And you are one of the authors of This Is Service Design Doing. So for people out there who haven't heard of the This Is Service Design Doing book, it's, um, I don't know how many years old is it, 2022, it's published in 2018, it's so four years old, is it? It's, well, uh, it's four. It's, it's a toddler. <laughs> hopefully it's been toilet trained <laughs> yeah it's, it's not it's not the age where they lie on the floor and yeah. uh <laughs> totally resist everything that you you try them to, to they kick do. and stomp <laughs> develop personalities of their own yeah um but look you know we, we were chatting and we've been chatting about doing this podcast for for definitely a couple of years um and it's great that i've, I've, I've completed the uh the sort of the quartet i've got Jakob, mark uh, but Adam, um, on the podcast, of course, and um, now we've got you. So that's it. You know, we can we can close this as eight CD down. But we were we were always been chatting about prototyping, especially with this is doing. We work together, delivering training and stuff. But playfulness off the back of that is something that I know I've encountered quite a lot over the last number of years, and one of the sort of the side benefits of prototyping. So. You mentioned there that your interest in service design, um, you know, pro- or prototyping comes from within service design. How did that happen? Walk me through your background on um, what what brought you to the world of prototyping. What what interests you so much about it? Oof, that that's a very good question. I it I always think us are really interested in in possibility, and hmm. uh, you know, early on, I've, I've got a degree in science. So technology always was something that I was interested in and observing new technologies and what they can do or what they can't do was really uh, something I, I mm. was fascinated by. And just so... I was going to say, does it come from a place, do you find, um, from the scientific background of that whole kind of testing and you know wanting to make sure that you're not going too far ahead and then having to come back on yourself. Is, is there something in the scientific mindset that lends itself to the prototyping mindset? I'm not sure if there is a, a huge difference. And I think mm. the, the communities see a big difference. They are rarely being able to talk to each other, like scientific community or mm. the design community. And these are bridges that we might have to build. Um, yeah. But if you look at the scientific method and the design approach, it's not, you know, on, on some core values, it's not that different it's about trying out things um not just thinking about stuff but doing experiments doing many Mm. experiments trying to learn how things work and then uh, build something on top of it and so on a a very simple basis it's very similar and we can learn a lot from the from the scientific community um in terms of you know this experimentation mindset and one of the things that I learned uh, already at university was when I was trying to to write my my thesis. Um, you know, I'd, I was tack- trying to understand how phase transitions worked at the time. And in the end, um, you try so many ways to solve that problem that you were given, and you learn so much what doesn't work, right? And then it's it's like you start with an empty piece of paper that is your map. And you, you you walk a couple of steps and then you, mm. like a cartographer, you map out what works, what doesn't work and what the path is. And then in your thesis, you, you just write out that one path that worked. But you mm. learn so much along the way. And I think that's 
a similar thing in design when when you're trying to figure out how to build something that works for our customers, for the stakeholders, for the employees in in the end. Um, We can't just put in a perfect solution. We also need to learn about all these kind of sideways, these little detours that don't work because we need to avoid them and we need to learn when they happen, what to do, how to recover that. So Mm. um, a perfect concept, even if it works, is not worth it, it's it's not worth a lot unless you kind of also know what kind of terrain you're in if if i yeah. want to stay with that metaphor just just sticking on that for a little bit more like you know when we talk about prototyping i think myself and yourself have a similar kind of understanding of of what we mean but in my experience of speaking to teams and um or delivering training and stuff prototypes tend to be compressed into this kind of understanding of it being a either a paper prototype but a, or or a digital prototype on the screen where they click through things how how do you describe what a prototype is just so we've got that shared understanding yeah. in this it, thing with the listeners it, it's i think it's a, one of these cases where the language gets in the way it's a very natural prototyping is a very natural concept it's part of how we learn especially yeah. in the in the field of service design is it's how, how do you learn a language, right? You, you learn a couple of sentences, you try it in front of people, you know, it fails or not, and then you get corrected, and then you try again, and you try again until it works, you know, and you can communicate. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you learn, when <clears throat> kids learn to ride a bicycle, they, they ride the bicycle, well, they don't, they try, they fall, they get up again, and, uh, you know, they try again until it works. Every mm. try is kind of a prototype. It's an early version of where you want to go, and um, and we learn along the way because the the most important thing about prototyping is you try something out and then you learn from it and then you, yeah. you try to improve. But it's not about thinking about something, not trying it out in your head, but trying it out in the real world. And mm. prototyping, like historically, has the the I think the the terminology comes was used mainly in product design or industrial design when when you build an object and uh but you know i i think looking at the the world from a service perspective you know it's all about the experience and so how do we prototype these experiences and that's Mm. everything which is out there so it it can be a consulting experience that needs to be prototyped you know the communication needs to be prototyped all that kind of stuff a conversation can be prototyped all these mm. experiences and basically a prototype is trying it out and yeah. um and see what happens and learning from it i think that's the 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 key thing so you build a prototype you or you set something up you try it and you observe and learn from it i think these are the the important yeah. steps i mean within teams and organizations that are have kind of come from this waterfall mindset where they might have had a a document created at the start with all the requirements in it and um, they know exactly what they're doing and then oh, I'm being a bit kind of facetious there and then they'll they'll have some sort of screen design session and all the requirements and the functional requirements will be thrown against that and then someone might come and say well we need to usability test this stuff and then they start creating a series of interactive wireframes and they're like okay cool where 
do you see prototyping sit like if that if that's a typical scenario for an organization that might be i don't know on the journey to becoming more agile in their approaches of, of ways of working that to me sounds very similar to how organizations wrap the word prototyping up into their ways of working is that, i don't i'm kind of keen to get your understanding of how they should probably explore it i think that the first word i said uh, where i jumped on was the requirements document <laughs> you know let's th let's burn that and replace it with a prototype i think mm. as simple as that P there is few people that understand requirements documentations right that's the people yeah. writing it i think that's mm. about it in my experience and there's now, so much there? lost. Yeah. I need to stop you there because people yeah. are, there's probably people in there in flames. They're kind of going, burn the requirements document. Like that's, replace it with a prototype. All right, replace it what with a prototype. How do you know what to prototype? Those requirements are coming from policy and they're coming from regulation. And they, these are mandated and they need to be included in the design. What do you say to people when they kind of, you know, I'm well, sure I, I wouldn't be the first designer to, to say, you know, go against the, the requirements <laughs> document. I, of, of course. I mean, you know, the, the reality is, I mean, I say it in that way because I want to, people to listen. Because the, yeah. the first thing, a lot goes wrong with requirements documents. Especially, the first is the people that often get asked for requirements aren't people that can formulate them very well in this moment. And mm. they just give you a list. It's a wish list. Sometimes they, they need it. Sometimes they don't really need it. And they don't know yeah. that. Um, yeah. So a lot of things go wrong. And we know all this, you know, all these these problems with the requirements documents. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the second thing is then someone else reads it. And it's kind of a handover. So it takes out a conversation that we in service design and in design so replace by you know going out there and doing contextual research so yeah. we look at what people need and then of course it makes sense to kind of compile all that learning into maybe a document so we don't forget however if we now go on to say now let's move to the developers and have this thing done if, we, if we're talking about a digital um, product or service mm -hmm. then there is this document, why not flank it with a first prototype to say this is what we mean by all these requirements? And, you know, this is our first vision, how this could feel like, how this could work. This actually solves our problem before they go into the details and solve all these deep technical problems that might be associated with it. So it, it, it helps people to understand what's in this other document. Okay, so is is there a way that we can rather than burn the requirements document because that could be seen as a very antagonizing approach to trying to working with with part of the business. But is there a way to or have you seen ways where they can take that requirements document and maybe explore its reevaluation? I I think in in the end that maybe the the document is maybe the document isn't the the source of the problem it's the it's how how the the work is stacked up in a project with mm. the handovers yeah because often that document is there because you know we get the requirements from one part of the organization and some other part has to do it and they don't necessarily talk to each other they just hand over that you know, it's everything in this document and they walk and, away 
So, and then they walk away and people are kind of, okay, you can't document everything that you learned, you know, when you do research. So, mm. and certainly, even if you, you capture all the technical details, all the empathy, the why this is important is lost when you hand over a document. So, can we please have some of the developers, maybe, or someone from the devel development uh, community also join the research so they know what the mm. insights mean, that they know why it's such a problem for the users, for the people in the context, you know, being out there in yeah. the in-home interviews, wh wh wherever it is. Um, so we, so there is at least a piece of empathy and they can raise their hands and say, okay, they, this is the requirement, but this is how you need to read it because I've been, yeah. I've been out there, man. Yeah, shared ownership nice. and yeah. also yeah. research to swim a little bit further upstream to help co-create um, those requirements. Yeah. If if this is like, this, we're not saying this is the best case scenario, okay? We're just saying like if you're in a scenario like that, that would be one way to potentially look at approaching it and trying to sort of permeate that, you know, that, that sort of skin of the organization where it's very protective of these kind of rituals mm -hmm. that tends to persist. So... It just going back to the prototyping thing over imagine like the they're doing that and they've got these um they've got a digital prototype let's just be clear like you know when, when we work together before we, we tend to explore um conversational prototyping and stuff that comes from that what why would somebody approach uh, prototyping from a conversational perspective what are the benefits of um of, of working in this way and i'm being again i'm playing devil's advocate a little bit <laughs> because it's fast right yeah. there there is a huge bias in in design that's fun for, it's fun no it's fun yeah and it's fast the thing is um you know try just take a timer and time the the time it takes for you to sketch a certain interface or a certain um interaction and okay. then think about, okay, so this is the interaction. If a human now would replace that interaction, you know, if we had a, a, a employee doing this instead of an app, right, how would yeah. that conversation work? Hmm. And so if we do that, then, and you time the conversation and you use kind of improv theater techniques, you know, you just, you know, do a, you play around with this and you say, okay, I'm, I'm the employee doing the service for you maybe a you know travel advice or or some you know navigational stuff uh for your for your holiday um mm. then i can we can just have a conversation imagine you have to draw all this in a uh user interface and how how yeah. long would it take and this is this is one of the things prototyping tries to maximize learning and mm. we can go through so many different variations in a conversation much more quickly yeah. Uh, then we can drawing it out. At some point, of course, we need to make a decision. So what is kind of the channel that we that we want to have this in? Will this be an app? Will this be a website? Should this be the call center taking um, taking that part? Mm -hmm. um, but th this is this is one of the things um, you don't always have to prototype in the same channel. It depends on what question, what you want to learn. Sometimes you need to to build prototypes that actually allow you to make that decision. Does that need mm. to be an app at all? And th this is something that is not happening because we always know we need to build that app. And so 
these yeah. kind of lightweight tools allow us to step back and say, let's forget that for a moment. Yes, we will come back to that, of course, and 90% yeah. will go into there. But we also might discover some really interesting questions. So to reframe that a little bit more, um, I don't really want to touch a bit, touch on this a little bit more around the point that you made there around that you already know that you're doing an app. So you're prototyping an app. Whereas if you prototype much earlier in the process, there's a higher chance that you can have more input into what goes into the app or what maybe could be other part of the service, could be, you know, paper or it could be wayfinding, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and too often prototyping happen happens too late is what we're seeing. Like, you know, prototyping yeah. is is more in usability testing. Um, but on the point of, of uh, you mentioned about it being fast and I mentioned about it being fun. Is is that safe to say that um, fun makes for a better kind of uh, experience in in the in the long run? Why should fun um, enter in the conversation when we're working? I I think it's about the energy in the room. If if you've mm-hmm. seen prototyping sessions, we work with a with a huge medical uh, engineering company, and you know it was a three-day workshop where they explored new services uh, or so, mm-hmm. you know, a, a new service portfolio. What, what could they do in like two to three years? And uh, I think after f- six hours, we had, you know, all the PhDs in the room um, on the floor playing with Lego <laughs> and setting up basically huge ecosystems that they walked through, like, and yeah. uh, to understand where they stand and where they could make a difference. Um, but mm. was, you know, they were, you know, when we introduced it, you could see them kind of looking over to the big boxes of prototyping materials that we brought and mm. it, it, they were just waiting for it to be opened like a box and that yeah. just, you, you couldn't hold them back. And that, this is the energy, <laughs> especially in that, in that field. Um, and this has to do with, with the safe space that you create around these exactly. things. You know, we, we're, we, <laughs> This was about partially about cancer research and and treatments, and we had people in the room to bring that empathy, so they had a, a history, and mm. so we had to balance this kind of energy. We needed to be honest and and careful that we can say, okay, you know, we do something for a very serious cause. And we need to be on eye level with all these people and, and treat them in the right way. At the same time, we need to create that kind of emotional safe space for us so that we can, mm. can uh, come up with ideas and new solutions and have some fun, having fun and being playful around these things yeah. uh, without um, forgetting why we're, we're doing this, I think is, is the trick here. So, but it, it creates that safe space, and and we, I we've done a similar project uh, just last year, um, where it was you know also again mental health and um, in, with students, and um, that was one of the topics. But in the project itself, we used prototyping, we used quite mm-hmm. light-hearted um, methodologies to manage kind of the engagement in the room, and I think it it's. It it needs both. Otherwise, um, and the, I'm pretty sure it's not as productive, or you know, mm. we don't get to the solution that we got to. What's the antithesis of fun in the workplace? 
I, I don't know. The absence I'm, of fun sounds really uh, sad. Sounds sad. Sounds so depression. It's so yeah. I don't yeah know. It's 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 so but, miserable. But like, yeah. yeah the, the thing is, fun. Some I, I'm not sure if I'm I'm not a big if I'm a big fan of the word fun because it you know I I like to have fun, but there it's also Playful. something that is um, maybe meaningful fun sometimes yeah my, my mindless fun is necessary to kind of get away from something for a moment mm. mindful um, and mind, connected yeah. and but, but you know then but then getting back to that place you know it's uh, it's a bit like in a meditation you know so you you notice that you know you, you're in need of something and you, you see that yeah. in um when when i was uh, <clears throat> i was younger um uh, I was working for a social service, and uh, there, when when within being with the nurses, we had a, a bad day. Um, you know, you wouldn't believe the jokes they cracked, and I was yeah. like, "Can you do that? Is that important?" And it's just, yeah. it was just, <laughs> uh, you know, why this is oh, and it took me a while to understand that that this is, you know, they're building themselves that safe space to cope. Um, yeah. with these things and then they got very serious again of course and they took all the mm. patients very seriously and I, I and they they taught me that there is this kind of front stage backstage in this yeah. in this field but they need to take care of themselves so they can take care of other people yeah it's funny whenever i've worked with people who who work with vulnerability <clears throat> in in the medical space whenever i introduced to them prototyping or investigative rehearsals they take to it like, like a duck to water. I don't have to sell it to them, okay? And I think it's because of their ability to, to build a safe space amongst themselves much quicker than a traditional organization. And the traditional organizations I, I refer to as the ones that tend to have somewhat um, of a closed mindset. Um, it's very much control and command kind of uh, at the, the center of how they work. And... Um, they struggle with the idea. I always feel like I have to sell this to them. Like, you should try this. And they're like, well, why? What? Why? So most of the, the, the questions that I get from, from listeners are from that mindset. They're in, they're in those organizations. They want to change things. And they struggle, like, with stakeholders when they say, we're going to try prototyping earlier in the process. And also, we're going to do something that could be seen as having fun or more playful approaches how have you handled that in the past is that something you can you can discuss this is a tough one i'm um mm. it, i i just reminded uh, was just reminded of a of a workshop um that was years and years ago and it was the first time i noticed these kind of inner blockades when when people stop working on something um, and I think this is this is uh, something that you see in, in bigger organizations. It's I have my idea now. I put it in a PowerPoint deck, and this is what I can do. Yeah. And now someone else needs to do more. And so we did a two day workshop. Um, in, I think it was automotive, um, and they were trying to map out a technology roadmap um, for so kind of for the next five to ten years. And they brought together lots of people from all around the world um, to yeah. join in and to, to kind of align. And we used 
prototyping for them to actually build that kind of vision of the future. Mm -hmm. But it was really interesting because there is a certain... So yes, they would be building cardboard prototypes. Um, they would use kind of walkthroughs and, and you know do all these simulations. But then it was really hard. Then they thought, yeah, this is it. This is now. And it was really hard to do the next step to go deeper um, mm. and actually prototype more. And this barrier is this now... It, I think it mirrors maybe um, all these kind of silos that you have inside organization. Now it's someone else's problem that you have or this this tiny prototype, this inkling of a starting point. It stops it because yeah. then you, you give it to someone, you explain it, and then someone does it, but it's not their thing. So how can we actually help people to learn that they can do more? And this is something that I'm... I've I've been pushing for for the last 15 years or so really is trying to mm. say guys in this world with the technology that we have with you know the communication infrastructure we had it, you can build almost anything almost yeah. anything yourself if you want to you know you find all the instructions on the internet you 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 hook up to the communities that help you build it um a lot of technology is there that helps you build stuff you know, if, uh, for example, in if you want to build digital products, all the whole no-code and low-code movement is out there. I mean, you can build things today that you needed engineers for, like a whole team of engineers for 10 years ago. I mean, look at you this can do doing. AI yeah. stuff yourself yeah. right Absolutely. now. Just putting stuff, you know, building bricks together. It's like Lego. Yes, there is a learning curve. But if you really wanted it, yes, you can. And there's mm. lots of accounts out there. Uh, the same in in uh, building building like physical products. So there is, you know, I started uh, the the Fab Lab here in Nuremberg, um, which is kind of makerspace that allows you to build almost anything. You know, so there's three D printers, laser cutters, um, a digital uh, like an electronic workbench, and and you know, there's ten year olds that just use that stuff every day. Yeah. And hell, why should a twenty no like a thirty five year old um, guy in a company not be able to kind of pull all these things together and make something. A mashup, yeah. Yeah, and it, I think that's the limiting thing. We need to, and, and this is, I, there's a lot of things you can talk about, and I, as you notice, I talk a lot about these things. But <laughs> that doesn't convince people. They need to experience that. They need to experience yeah. that, wow, I just built something with AI, right? Wow, I just built an app, and I can't even program. Wow, mm. boom, right? And you need to experience these things by building it, building stuff, building stuff, building stuff. And then you get more proficient in it. And of course, at some point, you need to hand it over to someone to who takes it further, right? Um, but this point happens later than we often believe. Because if, mm. it, if it happens too early, you know, if it's just something in a PowerPoint slide, then you have to do all that convincing. Yeah. You know, all that, oh, we need to build a good storyline. Because that's all, you know, th these are all um, evidences of I have to sell something. I have to convince somebody. A prototype mm. sometimes does that job for you without you having. Because people can try it and they see 
ooh, that works. That's amazing. Here's even feedback from real customers using that yeah. thing and 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 being so you don't need to put together that kind of super uh flashy storyline anymore. No. And I typically in businesses whenever we talk about the value of pro prototyping and prototyping earlier, you can lean on the fact that you're reducing risk and increasing certainty. Yeah. In what you're building is the right thing. And if they have an argument with that, what's the what's their argument like? What how can they how can they match this? There's very few other things that I've ever heard of, none that come to mind actually as I'm as I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, prototyping can give you so much bang for buck. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this and again, this is not new, right? In the if you look, I worked with the in the automotive industries twenty years ago, and the um. At the time, they were, they were calling this front-loading or <laughs> trying to, yeah. to just iterate earlier, not yeah. just, just uh, you know, in the, the, the half year or a couple of months before the launch of a new car, right? Mm. They tried to iterate much earlier. So because there, <laughs> earlier in the design phase, in the, in the development, it was just cheaper to fix the problems, much cheaper, because there's yeah. so many people having to... Um, that need to collaborate to make this thing happen. You know, as soon as you make changes late, of course you have to tell everybody, and, and it's just like um, the cost of that change, it, you know, becomes massive if you if you're unlucky. And absolutely, and the and the, I mean, there is heaps of literature on this. Is this is what um, like Toyota, the Toyota way was from the beginning. So they iterated, you know, early, much earlier. So yeah. lots of design changes in the in the early stages of the development, and then yes, there was a little bump of design changes just before um, start That's of production. Right. But you know, and now this was all about the car, and the same thing now uh, happens to all the services and experiences. Mm -hmm. We're just not used to um, thinking about them in the same way. Yeah, uh, the the um, Munich airport did a huge um, test run for their new terminal. Where they, you know, they sent thousands or I don't know, hundreds of, of customers uh, with cards, you know, little task cards into the new terminal, testing all the services that were there. But this was just, you know, a couple of months before, no, just uh, very shortly before they were opening it, just to stress yeah. test that. And everybody is doing these pilots, right? Everybody's doing pilots because they don't want to 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 have their big service fail when they open the doors. Absolutely. However, people are not doing this early enough. And, yeah. you know, th this is where prototyping, again, you know, uh, can be of huge value um, when you bring together the team that's interdisciplinary and you actually, you start with a prototyping workshop. You start the project with a prototyping workshop. Mm. Why would you do this? Because prototypes don't need language. And if, you know, we did this with lawyers and designers about regulation. Yeah. And these are two kind of, and, and people from the, uh, from the public space, they know this. This is a hard gap that you need to cross. Yeah. And um, it's getting better. And there's more and more people that can, you know, underst they understand each other. And, but at the time, you know, in this project, it, it was about privacy. So, we brought the, the designers in, we brought the, um, 
the regulators in or ex-regulators um, and had them build prototypes together. And mm. even though they didn't have that language, the shared language at the beginning, through the prototypes, they started to understand each other. And at the end, mm. they understood, what, what do I mean when I say that? What do I mean when I ask that question? Yeah. Because they were in the, in the teams together, they were proud of the prototypes. And even if you, and, and this doesn't mean that you solve the issues that you're having in this one prototyping workshop. What you're mm -hmm. doing is you build a base for the rest of your project that people actually know, have you know communication, and yeah. they know what they're, what they mean, what they talk about. Yeah, Marcus, we're coming towards the end of the episode. There's, there's lots more that we could have, we could speak about a little bit more, but you're also yourself and Adam run the the Global Service Jam. Um, is there a service jam on the horizon? Oh yes, um, there is a service jam coming up uh, in almost two months. Um, I think okay. even a bit less than two months in uh, in March, from the sixteenth to the twentieth of March. So okay. if you're if you're remotely interested in prototyping, because this you know the 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 service jam actually started because at the time ten years ago. Prototyping right. and service design was the final frontier. People knew right. how to prototype products, uh, but they didn't have such a grasp on uh, on services. So we said we need to build a a sandbox where we can try these things. Yeah, and that's what it is. I'll throw a link to that one into the into the show notes. People want to reach out to you. You know, um, here's Mini, the prototype of Marcus, <laughs> the latest prototype. Um, you want to say hello? Max, say hello, sir. Hey, it's the, it's the youngest oh. guest on This Is HCD. <laughs> That's my daughter. And I think she wants to um, to watch, uh, I think, something with Anna and Elsa. That's what I heard. Ah, Elsa. It's the big, Very uh, cool. it's a big thing, yeah. We're, we're just listening to the music right now, so... <laughs> oh, very good. Well, look, Marcus, I'll let you go back to your day. As always, I love speaking with you. Um, and if people want to reach out to you, I'll put a link to your to your website, Workplay Experience. <clears throat> and also, you're working Twitter on some prototyping yes. courses for yeah. this is doing as well. So we'll hopefully have those in at some point in the next couple of months. But thanks so much for your time, Marcus. No, thank, thank you for having me. That's great. Thank you so much, Jerry. Take care. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care. <laughs>